I bring you a recording of my uh, book release party event? What do you call those? Uh, at uh, Tangible Books in the Bridgeport neighborhood of Chicago. Uh, I had uh, Mallory Smart and Annie Howard with me reading from their work, and then we had a pretty good talk. Uh, it was a good time all around. Uh, I hope you enjoy this. Rainbow Club, when you were had your closing that was like very drunk and was asking if you had an Instagram, Elise was like... When, well, she got her wish. I don't... Who, who was that? I don't... The one that... The closing you had recently, there was just a woman that was really drunk and was telling you that your work was worth like $750,000 or whatever and... Oh, yeah, yeah. Seven kept asking how to find you. Right. Well, it's for her. That's why I'm on there. Hopefully she found, found I, her I, way. I just try to make, yeah, some drunk woman... At a bar's dream come true. Yeah. That's, I mean, there are a lot of easier ways to do that. Oh, yeah? Okay. How, how do you do that? <laughs> Dimitri, half American gigolo, Russian gigolo. Okay. <laughs> do you have any other people you know are coming? or? Yeah, I can text and see how close they are. Yeah. It's 708, maybe we start. Well, yeah, tell them yeah. to get their asses in gear. We don't want to be here all night to keep all these good people waiting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're ready for some enrichment over here. Yeah. <laughs> so you're here for enrichment. That's right. You'll, you'll leave at least 25 cents richer than you <laughs> that's, what that's my guarantee to you. <laughs> As the organizer, it's my fault that you guys are all here. <laughs> you picked like at least one shitty writer too, so... I'm counting myself as a shitty writer. <laughs> See when, see, when people say stuff like that, they're kind of fishing for, for oh, you to... to no, I'm not fishing, I know. <laughs> to counter? No, I don't want to counter. I don't want to be like, no, you're good. And then, like, I think really you should take a vote at the end. Who's a shitty writer and no, everybody I, can raise it. No, I want to be me. <laughs> yeah, but you, like, somehow slipped and stumbled and published, like, five books. What happened? <laughs> no. <laughs> How did that happen? And that wasn't all you're doing. I failed my way up. <laughs> I mean, you're not like you know, like a weird egomaniac like me who just insists on publishing their own books. You know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie and say that I don't think I do a better job of it than some of my publishers, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's. That's because I I have a publishing house, though. Yeah. Yeah, but half half of the people in your position do do publish their own books. Like, I like uh, getting a lot of the feedback yeah. from the publishers, but obviously, as we just learned, some of them just miss some glaring things. No, yeah, for edits, it, it's it's for sure good. As many eyes yeah. as possible. <laughs> How do you do it? I mean, because you're doing it yourself, do you just like pass it around to as many people as possible and save your bit to shreds? Less and less with each successful, succeeding book, it seems like. All right. Okay, we save the seat for you right up front. Like, yeah. Nobody wants to sit up front. <laughs> you can sit wherever you like. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> I know I got a few more people that are coming, but we probably no, started. no. Yeah, you want to you want to get started? I mean, I texted them and they said, "Where are you at?" But it's yeah. low service situation down here. So yeah, we're, we're not we're back. not getting much. So yeah, okay. yeah I guess I'm we're not going to be live simulcast to whatever. No TikTok live Musk, tonight. No Musk talk yeah. for, for. Damn it! <laughs> if I wanted him to watch. Oh. 
Don't worry, we'll upload to later. Okay. And we're gonna have a like a a pristine audio recording of all this. So yeah. There you go. So you all are welcome to say all kinds of stupid shit because I'm I plan to. So. <laughs> so you you want to get started? Sure. So I think yeah. yeah I'll, I'll just say thank you all for coming. Uh, I think what we're going to do is each read something short and then some, have some sort of uh, unstructured rambling conversation in which y'all will be encouraged to participate. And uh, I mean, nominally, we're here to celebrate a, a new book that I just had published that's over there. Uh, it's called To Whom It May Concern, printed in this neighborhood in Bridgeport. Uh, it's my first one printed here, but uh, I've invited. Two of my good friends, uh, Mallory Smart and Annie Howard, uh, to help me not feel lonely up here and <laughs> take some of the pressure off. And uh, yeah, who wants to go first? Uh, uh, should I go first? Should no, you go last. That's I go chat. last. Yeah. All right. See, uh, this is this is I, this I'm is right why you're here. here. But if you want to start, uh, I just have really short ones. So yeah. Okay. I'll wait till people get seated, though. Yeah. Welcome. Here are more of my people, so that's good. Okay. There are seats. If you want to be like totally two in the judged. two in the front row. Hi. <laughs> <All right>. Well, <laughs> thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, 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 now yeah. we can start. <laughs> okay, so, so I'm reading from the writer. Um, I wrote this about a year ago, so I get the pleasure of actually really doing two books in one year for publishing. But this is an AI collaboration. I just wanted to do it for fun. So I don't tell anybody what I wrote, what the AI wrote, or what I collaborated on. So have fun trying to see which one is me. <laughs> Headline, woman dresses up as Lady Gaga and robs bank, citing born this way as defense. <laughs> Ohio resident attempts to sell his soul on Facebook marketplace, gets banned for trolling. <laughs> Story, The Matrix Once there is a man named Tom Who lived a mundane and unfulfilling life He worked a dull office job Ate the same microwave meals every day And he spent his weekends binging on Netflix One day Tom died in a freak accident Involving a stapler and toaster As he floated above his lifeless body he was approached by a group of beings who identified themselves as the creators of the simulation in which he had just lived. What do you mean simulation, Tom asked, still shook. Your entire life was just a computer program we designed for your entertainment, one of the beings explained. But don't worry, you have a choice. You can either go back in as a new character or stay out here with us and help create new simula simulations. Tom was torn. On one hand, the idea of starting over as a new character was tantalizing. He could finally have the exciting and meaningful life he always wanted. On the other hand, the thought of creating his own simulated worlds was equally tempting. After much contemplation, he decided to stay out and become a creator. He figured if he was going to spend eternity somewhere, he might as well have some control over his destiny. And so, with a wicked grin on his face, Tom set to work creating the most twisted and hilarious simulation he could imagine. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how the great state of Florida was created. <laughs> uh, headline, Brooklyn area resident is totally on to us. Um, let's see my favorite. Oh, 
Headline, Florida man is a political prisoner of Marxism and won't put his clothes back on until everybody knows about it. <laughs> um, and there's one other really weird story I'm trying to find. All right. Not so long ago in an alternate reality far, far away. <coughs> Sorry. Jeffrey Dahmer walked nervously into the interview room, his hands shaking and sweating forming on his brow. He had just been released from prison after serving a long sentence for his heinous crimes, and now he was trying to start a new life. I know. <laughs> As he sat down across from the interviewer, he tried to put on a friendly smile. Hi there, he said, his voice quivering. I'm Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm here to apply for the job. The interviewer looked at him with a mixture of curiosity and disgust. I see, she said, tapping her pen on the desk. And what makes you think you're qualified for this position? Jeffrey swallowed hard, trying to think of something to say. Well, I have a lot of experience in um, dissecting things. Oh my God. He said, hoping she wouldn't catch the hint of dark humor in his voice. The interviewer raised an eyebrow. I see, she said again. And what did you do in your previous job? Jeffrey shifted in his seat, feeling more and more uncomfortable. I was a serial killer. He said, the words tumbling out of his mouth before he could stop them. The interviewer's face went white and she quickly stood up from the desk. I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer, she said, her voice shaking, but I don't think this is the right job for you. Good luck in your future endeavors. Jeffrey stood up too, his heart pounding in his chest. He knew he had messed up and now he would never have to get a job again. It was a shame, he knew he did his best. He couldn't help but joke to himself, though, as he left. Well, I guess I won't be working in the meatpacking industry after all. Not professionally, at least. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. A little bit of a tone shift, I suppose. Um, so I'm going to read a couple of poems that I've written, uh, two back-to-back. And then I'm going to read just the very start of my first ever short story that I wrote. Um, and then I will close with one more poem. Um, I hope the sequencing makes sense. I'll probably preface the next two things after these two poems, but let's just go for it. So this is The Unknown City for Samuel Delaney. As city sidewalks recede at an unknown distance, their vanishing point a trick of perception, the mind's eye falters. A city born into infinity, everywhere and in all moments, always within arm's reach, yet still slipping through one's hand the minute it is grasped. A city forevermore real, yet just as vital in the imagination, an, em an endless fount of pleasure, glimpsed, touched, tasted, then gone again. An ever-renewing resource, held close in finite space, yet spilling out well beyond recognition. Something as tangible as a cat's purring vibrations, as intangible as the accumulated dreams of worlds unknown but made real. Someplace off on the horizon, always there to mark a path forward. All right. There will be more. It's okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I inhabit a city that does not exist. You might live there too, our paths yet uncrossed, our separate realities capable of colliding in an instant. We are not the first to live here, far from it. 
our inheritance is complex. Some who have called this place home have left obvious imprints, while others' contributions have been effaced entirely. With each passing day, this fleeting city fades further from view. Every rent increase, megadevelopment, and police murder closes off a point of entry into this impossible space. We are told to forget those people we never knew, even as their presence haunts our memories. Those in power elsewhere won't even acknowledge that this place is real. They stop us defecting from their crumbling reality, fortify borders and checkpoints, deny bodies already in motion elsewhere. To ignore their admonitions comes a great peril. As inhabitants of the unknown, we risk everything just to stay alive. When our paths inevitably converge, pulled together without conscious intention, know that we have given everything away just to say hello for the first time. So those two poems obviously have a, a resonance. Uh, this next thing that I'm gonna share just a little bit from is the first short story that I've ever written. It's called The Name Question. Um, I'm only gonna read just a very, just the first like four paragraphs of it. The basic, the, the larger story is that there's a, a lesbian bar that's a time portal. There's a new version of it that I'm figuring out what it's gonna do, but this is the intro of the initial version of the story. The bar never looked like much. Rarely did it attract the eye of any passers-by. You'd need some prompting to even distinguish it from any of the other now vacant storefronts that lined a well-lit street in a neighborhood with an identity crisis. For a time, the bar owner could not appreciate this rare gift. Whatever efforts they made to stand out, to lure in the unexpected, nothing much seemed to change. Sensing defeat, or at least a deflated morale too profound to recover from, the bartender instead turned their attention inward. If the outside world cannot appreciate their vision, better to make everyday, their everyday surroundings something to admire, even if just for themselves and a handful of regulars that seemed to come with the bar when they bought it a few years prior. Like all beginnings, the true story only became clear well after the fact. Because the bar could expect a handful of disinterested, transient drinkers to warm the worn seats for a few hours each month, the bartender missed something startling. A real, singular clientele began forming. So lost in the stupor of years of resigned disassociation, the question arrived with disarming ferocity. What's your name? A simple question, seemingly. And yet, the bartender had no answer, and no way of understanding why they lacked one. A name, something we surely must all carry with us, even in multitudes. Legal names, childhood nicknames, names misheard or misremembered by strangers, later folded into some humorous tale of mistaken identity. But no matter how self-evident the fact seemed amidst this absurd situation, the question remained. Where a name was supposed to sit deep within the innermost layers of their being, the bartender instead found nothing. Until that moment, they were asleep. However much the bartender attended to, its, to the bar's smallest needs, a hermetic chamber of infinite self-realization, the reality of other human beings never entered their mind. The idea that anyone else would even think to see their handiwork, much less seek it out on willing terms, was well beyond them. Even the holdover drinkers seemed unreal to them, merely animatronic decorations that let them pantomime their role in return. Yet in all those years, all the drinks served to those who may not have even noticed that their server had changed. One thing always stayed the same. No names were ever exchanged. 
So now I've taken you to my uh, magical city that does not exist. And to close, I want to read a poem that I wrote in March as I was recovering from face surgery. Um, I, on March 21st, I watched a documentary about uh, Candy Darling, who folks don't know about her. She was a trans woman who lived in New York, was in the Warhol factory scene. Um, someone who really lived a very beautiful and very short life. Um, there's actually an incredible photograph of her that's at the Art Institute right now on her deathbed. Um, that was something I saw as a teenager. So that's a little bit of context. So this poem is for her. It's for Anoni, who is an incredible musician who's still making stuff. I got to interview her recently. Um, put out an amazing new album recently. And then the third person is this trans woman, Chloe Zublio. Chloe was an artist, a musician. I'm currently working on hopefully getting an album of hers reissued that's not online anywhere by a band called The Transistors that was made in 1995 in New York. And so um, this is a poem basically for the three of them that I wrote after watching a documentary about, uh, about Candy. We breathe in AIDS death and we breathe out the climate collapse, she says, surveying a scene of death and decay unseen by those whose sight is so narrow, whose eyes purposefully untrained instinctually know to look elsewhere or not look at all. But I see you, Anoni. You are a sister whose words have been on the scene of these things that must draw me closer to you. When was the last time you thought of Chloe? If I hear her correctly, she says hello. A pretty ghost, one I have known and not known, known as you have known, in flesh and in blood, in life and on stage, not merely in an afterimage, something absent yet still here, totally. We can all be here together. I knew so little about Candy, but it was you who made introductions, showed me her dying face, asked me for the first time in my life if I too might like to grow and become a beautiful girl, as she was, and Chloe, and you. You've been in my ear half of my life, but only now am I listening with ears that know how to hear. To feel, uh, to feel you sitting in my living room, as real as you were on the stage of the pyramid, singing rapture to those who knew too that the end was near. Candy died on March 21st, 49 years ago, a fact that I did not know until that same day. It hit me like new news, fresh grief. She told us, I will not cease to be myself for foolish people, for foolish people make harsh judgments on me. You must always be yourself, no matter what the price. It is the highest form of morality. I take my time for us to sit together in silence, a rare and precious thing to share in these collapsing times. There are a thousand things I wish to say to you in the city. I only hope that you might hear me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, cool. Uh, so I'm gonna read. Uh, I'm gonna read the introduction from from my book, and I wasn't gonna have an introduction, but then uh, Mallory read an early draft of it and suggested that there should be some sort of explanation as to what the fuck I'm doing, <laughs> uh, which I, I never like explaining things. Uh, I just want to dive in, but you did a good job of it on paint by numbers. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I just, yeah, that, uh, 
that's another. That's the previous book that Andy did an event with me at uh, Pilsen Community Books last year for. But another weird, another way, you know, whatever. <laughs> cursed, <laughs> cursed Dmitri Samarov project. But <laughs> uh, yeah, that one sort of concerned uh, like a fictionalized version of some of my experiences in the in the local art world and with some of the horrible people who live there. Uh, and this one is also reality-based, but uh, what it is is a series of letters written from now in answer to letters I've gotten over the, basically most of my life, some going back 30, 40 years, some of these letters. And I structured them in alphabetical order so that there's one for every letter of the alphabet. Uh, I took out all the names. Um, and uh, then Mallory suggested I should, I should say at least in some way what I'm doing, so that's what this is going to be. And it's going to be very short, and then we can talk. <laughs> Let's see. And it's called Dead Letter Office. People were writing letters with little hope of their ever being delivered since forever. Before there was a regulated rate established for their passage from one place to another, before typewriters or ballpoint pens, probably before most of the population could read or write. The, imp the impulse to spill your guts to or at someone specific has to be programmed in us way back and in deep. Perhaps the suspicion, or maybe even intent, that the target of our vitriol, affection, desperate lust, confusion, hope, whatever, will never read the letter we spent time, frayed nerves, and snapping heartstrings composing is baked into the process. If the object of our fill-in-the-blank writes back, it becomes a conversation, a back-and-forth, rather than a monologue or diatribe or plea. A postmarked letter is like a thought balloon that you watch fade over the horizon. You don't sit staring down the vanishing point, awaiting its return. The thing is to send it off and forget about it. Over several decades, but most regularly from the 80s to the early 2000s, I maintained regular correspondence with friends, family, and significant others. I saved every letter and postcard anyone ever sent me. It was proof of my having mattered to someone sometime, a thing about which I often needed reassurance. As cell phones and email overtook pen and paper, my archive of letters began to have the musty look and smell of the museum storage locker. I reread a letter from time to time, but as the senders faded from my life and I faded from theirs, these pages took on a blurry, fading aspect, as if I could no longer make out the words, even as I held them inches from my face. I hesitated, I hesitated to call this introduction Dead Letter Office because it is the title of an odds and sods collection by a forgettable 80s band. I won't use their name here because that's just free publicity. <laughs> Thinking on it, uh, for some time, I decided the term was rich enough to overcome the unfortunate association. The idea of a room of forgotten or missent letters and packages, 
is as useful a way to think about my is a is a useful way to think about my past. When I started rereading through my archive in earnest, it occurred to me that it might be a worthwhile exercise to answer a couple of them. I wasn't interested in going back to whatever version of myself received the originals. I doubt I'd even recognize that person. I wanted to answer them as I am now, as if they showed up in my mailbox today. The hope is that the decades gap will make what I write resonate to someone or someone's other than my old correspondence. That maybe I've learned something in the intervening years that could be of use to strangers. The USPS now calls their dead letter office the Mail Recovery Center. I count this as a big mistake, or at the very least, a failure of imagination or appreciation for quotidian poetry. One is a generic bureaucratic rubric, while the other is a descriptor that inspires speculation and wonder. I guess sober practicality has won the day. I don't plan to make on making any such error. Thanks. Okay, now now we can we can talk about stuff. <laughs> um, can I jump in with something? Of course. Um, I just everything you just said about the way in which letters archive past versions of yourself is something that I've thought about. I recently found a letter that a friend sent to me in 2020 and included it in an essay because it, I just remember reading it in the moment, in a moment where a lot of things were changing and mm. it was very helpful to return to it. And um, in the intro of my, one of my zines that I have available here, everything you were just saying was really reminding me of, um, there's a Joan Didion essay on keeping a notebook um, where she talks about how, um, basically just how keeping a notebook is a way of keeping in touch with versions of selves that we don't have access to anymore. Um, and she has this way of talking about it. Um, oh, where is the quote? Basically, she says something about being on nodding terms with previous versions of ourself mm. so that they don't come knocking on the mind's eye at 3 a.m. asking who betrayed them or something like that. And it's Joan Didion's. It's very beautiful and perfect. Yeah. And I'm interested to hear you said that you wrote from a present perspective to respond to these letters and not trying to conjure a past self, but there's an impossible, I mean, you probably were remembering old selves. Somewhat, yeah. I mean, I didn't have, I've never kept a journal, I, I've never done personal writing of any kind, like stuff that's just for me, but these letters were an oblique way, because of what was in them, they were being, I could, I could sort of connect some dots and sort of construct whatever person that it was being written to. But I couldn't respond as that person. That became clear very, very quickly. Yeah. But so, as I read in the thing, I'm hoping that the gap between those things is enough room for other people to place their own experiences. And the early feedback uh, indicates that it's, it's true because uh, yesterday somebody told me that there was a chapter in there that they thought was written about them hmm. which is that's that's what it's supposed to do that means the machine works <laughs> you know uh, yeah I don't know uh, do you both do uh, journals or like diaries or any of that kind of stuff I write on day one occasionally it's an app What what's day it, one it's a diary journal app 
What's the rule? Is there like a rule no, of it? Just, just right. That's it. For how long? Like, do you do it every day? No, it's not really. I suck at keeping. Why is it called day one? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> every time you have to start over. <laughs> you no, know, we already had a discussion about not knowing the reasons why tech companies are called what they are. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> I am intrigued, though, by the way, that you said that you had someone who thought the letter was about them, because that's what I was going to ask you: is Are you hoping that some of the people you responded to? in your present self will come across this book? Well, they will. Uh, I, and I'm, Are they like fans yours who will definitely read? <laughs> no, no. They're, I mean, some, some of those letters are, are responses to dead people. A lot of them are, are to exes and, and people I'm not friends with anymore. And, and family members that I'll probably alienate further by, <laughs> by the shit I write. You know, it's, it's just inescapable. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make strengthen bonds. Um, maybe I'll make some new friends, but n not not the people that I'm responding to. Revenge thing, maybe like, oh, I hope they see what I felt about them. I felt some bit bitterness. Yeah. Some of those. Our, our friend, our mutual friend Adam said, yeah, he, he put a video on the the old Instagram saying it was really dark. It was a really dark book. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess I can't. I can't judge it that way. I don't have the critical distance, you know, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. For me, I do keep a daily journal, in fact. So on the cover of this is uh, my second essay collection that I self-published. These are the, to that point, looks like 13 journals that oh, I wow. had. Um, so I started a daily journal at the beginning of 2015, and I've been doing it ever since. And um, for me, it was mostly a way of just time was going very quickly. I was I started at age 20 and was in the middle of college. and. I think over time I realized, okay, this is a way for me to just check in with myself emotionally because I realized how much I was not being honest with myself about during the day, and when I went to write about it as I went to bed, it was like, oh, fuck, okay. Uh, I mm. probably should have thought about this sooner, but now I'm trying to sleep and I'm feeling all this stuff, and that was good, and that was really helpful, and I think just like yesterday, I was at therapy and I was like, I've got some relationships that have gone by the wayside in the last year, but I wanted to remember what it felt like to be in the present moment with those relationships mm. because I think I needed to feel a little bit of sadness about the fact that they weren't there because I'm going to have a conversation with one of those people soon and it's going to be very messy. But it was really good to reread journals from literally like a year ago right now, mm. think about this exact time and being like, wow, that person was living in the present and they didn't know it was coming. And it's cool to have just enough distance like i think i think a lot in terms of cycles and like seasons and fall is always for me a time of things dying and feeling that and so it's funny to read versions of selves that we thought were the best ones to steal a line from lcd sound system but <laughs> it's just like holy shit i at the time i was doing what i could and, no that yeah that's i mean in an indirect way that reading through these letters was yeah, rediscovering. I mean, it was a fucking minefield, mm. and it was lots of stuff that I forgot about. But the things that that they were writing about reminded me of things that mm. they did that, that that I did. You know, mm -hmm. I'm I'm definitely. I mean, there's probably bitterness, but I, I'm I'm hoping that uh, I didn't didn't spare myself. Like I'm not the hero of that book. Mm -hmm. I'm not usually the hero of any of those books. <laughs> I'm just a, I'm a, I'm an observer. I'm some sort of participant, but I'm not the hero. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm.
you've written, obviously, about all your fun cab experiences and painting and everything. Why did you suddenly want to write about your correspondences? What, like, made you rediscover all of this? Um, probably. Like, did this COVID lockdown? Okay. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's sort of an extension of this. So during COVID, one of the things I had to, that changed was I started doing collages, and the collages were made of from the same drawers as those letters came from. There was old homework assignments, like shitty childhood drawings, and all this, all this ephemera and crap that I've gathered. And those, I started making artwork out of those, and sooner or later the stacks of letters started getting into the pile, and I was cutting up the letters. So all the artwork in the book, and they have the color reproductions, but they're all uh, cut up letters, some of which are the ones that I'm responding to. Um, so yeah, it's an extension of this like new new way of working. I mean, I still like I've always worked from life, and I still think this is working from life. Mm -hmm. Like I'm reacting to a thing that exists. I'm not. It's not imagination, and it's not. Um, I don't know. It's not fantasy. You seem to be looking back a lot lately, especially with your recent show at Rainbow. Well, yeah, that, that's what happens when you get fucking old. <laughs> there's a lot, there's more in the rearview mirror than, you know, it just is. There's, there's this accumulation of stuff. Uh, there's no way around it. Uh, but the hope is to breathe some new life into it. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, I dragged all these, like, uh, art school paintings from my parents' basement and, and kind of did some rough surgery on them. And, uh, I mean, people seem to like it. Some of them went to other people's homes, which is the goal. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I think that the recursiveness of all of your work is really interesting. Like the last book, Paint by Numbers, that we did the book talk about, and the fact, like this one too, the fact that you, there's so much visual material interspersed with the writing is really unique. The fact that you are a very talented visual artist and also a writer is just interesting. But as you're saying, like a lot of things that you're drawing from are just being a person, being a bartender, being a cab driver. Yeah. I think it's hard to make enough money to live these days, and I feel like it's harder to just be a person that just does things and then makes art about them, and I'm, it's cool to see all that you've done in that mode. I feel like people, writers should not just be writers, you know? Well, you know, like... Uh, Mallory interviewed me for her uh, literary podcast and called the episode America Hates Art. <laughs> one of my statements, you know, and it does. <laughs> if it didn't hate art, then I wouldn't have to, you know, do side jobs. <laughs> that was a good episode. Yeah. <laughs> Far more meandering than this is. Yeah, yeah, th yeah, this is, this is more focused. Yeah. So not in our, like, style. I know, we, sh we should be talking about, like, well, we already talked about what happened during the day and stuff. And yeah. <laughs> and there's an audience here that, yeah. that's sort of pressure here for, for a right purpose. Now. Yeah, so the pressure's on to stay on task. <laughs> did you count how many letters you actually found? Oh, no. The, or did, uh, were you just, like, polling? Like, oh, this one's good, I'm going to respond to that one. I mean, I read through a bunch of them. I, I, I have a, a lot, and, I mean, my hope is not to... The other, the other part of the project of the, the collages and the letters is like this idea of like what's left over after you're gone, like, you know, the apartment full of stuff. Like, I don't have any kids. I'm not going to have any kids. So at some point, somebody's going to come into wherever I'm living and have to deal with this crap. And I want to leave as little as possible. <laughs> so I'm recycling it into 
artwork and I don't want people to find these letters because it's none of their damn business. Mm -hmm. You know? So like Kafka right there, that would have been fun. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna tell some executor to, yeah, yeah, burn it all, <laughs> but don't. Uh, like, no, I, I'll burn all the stuff I want burned. I'm, I, I want some control over the, the archive. Like, want some be made off of one of your things. Some kid from NYU just wrote me he wants to make something out of old style. Oh my God, some like student film, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, I, told, I gave him the blessings, like, yeah, go, go nuts, you know, like, whatever, just, you know, credit me, <laughs> send me a copy. Do you make money? Do you I have money? a question. Yeah. Did you find some, like, relief or, or um, like, catharsis answering some of these letters after so long? Like, I don't know if you came across somebody mad at you about some particular thing, and then you're like, <laughs> I can respond from a better place now that I have... Well, I, I, like it's not <laughs> currently happening, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, I definitely had the distance. I mean, it, it was, I mean, to a large, at least 50%, it felt like fiction, like I was reading short stories, yeah. you know. But like, there were short stories about some version of, directed at me. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's what inspired me to try to answer. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it, I mean, the result is absolutely some sort of fiction, you know, like one way or another. It's not... I mean, these are not answers to those letters. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if it's catharsis exactly, but uh, I wasn't like unlike what Annie was talking about writing this journal to try to be honest uh, with yourself. Like I don't. I guess I, I never felt that impulse. I don't need to be more honest with myself. I, I'd like to know myself less. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty fucking sick of myself. Uh, I know enough. I'd like to know less. I. I, I try to direct as much of my energies out as as possible because when they're directed in it gets dark and bad very quickly so that's why I like working from from you know outside in not inside out you know well that's why I loved and that's why I like use this Joan Didion essay to introduce this collection because it's it, I do feel like I, even with the journals in the moment writing them in part as a sort of therapeutic mm. checking in on myself but yeah as I get further along and feel further away from the person that was once writing in the present I do read things and I'm like damn what was she thinking yeah. and that's that's okay like it feels it is kind of fun and comforting to know that like we move through so many different versions of ourselves that eventually we look back and we're like I can't believe that was once me but that's I don't know yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the, the overall impression is I get a lot of times at the end of these letters, like, boy, wh whoever they were writing to was a real asshole. Mm. Like, <laughs> in a lot of different, on a lot of levels. Mm. Like, not the nicest person, not the kindest, you know. Could have been better. Mm. <laughs> not the best. Wes, did, did you have a question, comment? Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, I've read all your books and I just finished the new one. And uh, um, just so everyone knows, yeah, it's, it's dark, but I think it's funny too. Oh, good. Yeah, you can always get a kick out of like, your your voice is a comfortable place to be at. Um, would you be would it be fair to say because hack starts, you know, you're observing strangers. Mm -hmm. would, you, would you say that your books get more increasingly personal? For sure, yeah, yeah, they're definitely getting more personal. I mean, the last two, the one about the art world is yeah. They were all like, I really, really had to change names and composite people and be careful. And still, there's no way that 
anybody that knows me and has known me knows who I'm talking about. Look, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to name them, but like, it's, you don't have to be a fucking detective to figure out the people I'm talking about in that book. Uh, and yeah, it's stuff that's been eating at me, you know? Uh, and in, in the art world or in like the, the world of personal letters, obviously it's not a world of strangers. It's a, so yeah, it's, 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 it's zeroing in. I guess I'm getting closer to dealing with whatever, with whatever the fuck it is I am, you know? But I have to do it at, from a from an angle, you know. Like it can't be a like a direct, you know. I don't know that. That's that's my that's my strategy. Yeah. Is it maybe part of getting older too, where it's more healthy to set boundaries and maybe burn appropriate bridges, or I'm not so good at knowing which ones to burn yeah. and which ones not to burn. <laughs> I, I I make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep making them, yeah. I mean, I've been looking at your weekly newsletter, and I would say that over the last year, it also has become increasingly like introspective. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, is this also like another thing from the pandemic? Have you just been really trying to like figure out who you are? What? I, I'm just so much more thoughtful and wiser. Yeah. I, <laughs> no, no. I, 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 yeah. I'd, I'd have. I don't know if I'd be able to answer. I don't. Yeah. Like, if you were to go, like, I actually seriously did start, like, from years ago. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, you can read, there's an eight-year, there's an eight-year archive of this. I've been writing a newsletter every Monday, sometimes twice a week, even, for eight, really more than a decade, but for eight years, there's an archive that, if somebody's really bored, they could go back and and read. But uh, it's, it's a sort of a, it's a place for first drafts. It's stuff. A lot of it is stuff I ended up using for books and other projects, and it's yeah, I don't have a journal, but I have that newsletter, and that that keeps me sort of on schedule and grounded in this particular way. It's a discipline. Hmm. I think a thing I'm still getting used to is being a public writer, and I think hmm. I am very grateful to know that people have read things that I've written. To be able to put together zines is really special because I can send those to people that know me and care about me ostensibly. Mm-hmm. And even if they don't read everything, that's okay. Like, I don't expect that. But yeah. the first zine that I made was one I've been wanting to compile work for a long time, and then COVID again. Yeah. And I was like, damn, I just want to send things to people that I care about right mm-hmm. now. And I also have enough written material that feels substantial enough to compile in this way. And it was really special to get to do that. But I'm still like, okay, how. I get emails from people being like, I read your article, and I live in another country, and I'm like, what the hell? So I'm, I'm still getting used to that in my mm. work, and it's interesting to hear you have NYU students emailing you about making movies out of your stuff, and do you yeah. ever feel that you've adjusted to being doing this for so long and people knowing Dimitri Samarov, the writer and artist, not just Dimitri, the person <laughs> that bartends at their bar? Uh, I had a, I had an experience at a prior bar I bartended where this kid like stood in front of me, ordered his drink, and Googled me and read off the search <laughs> results. Like, Oof. that that's awkward. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, like, what do you say? Thank you. Like, go away. I don't know. <laughs> it's strange. Uh, I mean, that's that's. I guess that's part of the bargain. I I always had this fantasy of like not having any public facing persona, but that ship sailed a long, long time ago. That may have been possible in a time before the internet before social media and with enough of a pile of money that you don't need to 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there's a chapter in the in that Paint by Numbers book about like my my ideal art career is this guy named Albert York, who lived somewhere in Long Island. Nobody knew what he looked like. Every five years, a package arrived as at his gallery, and there was a waiting list to buy them. He didn't, never went to an art an opening, you know. Like that's that's what I always wanted, but like that's not what I've gotten, and that's what I, not what I'll ever get. Mm-hmm. That's, I didn't get that option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, given my druthers, it would have gone kind of differently, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and the the idea of being on stage or being the focus as a person of attention has never sat comfortably with me, and it's never what anything I've sought. Like I, I much prefer being in the audience and watching other people. Uh, like being up here is not like this is like this is this is just <laughs> this like is you're saying. Made sure he had to be in the middle. <laughs> this is what you have to do yeah. these days to spread the word and get. You know, I want people to read these books and look at these pictures. Obviously, it's a it's all a kind of communication. But the th- the thing of you as a person having to do that. Uh, I'll, I'll never entirely think is okay or right, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, there's a desperation to it that I just started it, a newsletter yeah, this week. It, and it's, it's fucking gross. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's gross. <laughs> I don't know. I'm talking to somebody who just, after eight years, rejoined fucking Instagram. So. <laughs> He's addicted. Oh, I'm so full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else have questions, comments? Anyone? Yes, sir. So uh, I'm a artist. I write. I'm a songwriter. I write songs. And uh, I'm curious, as a writer, a writer, um, when you guys go through writer's block or moments where you just like don't feel like writing, how do you get out of that? What's your inspiration? Um, how do you like? I guess deal with that. Maybe imposter syndrome or like like that thought that like no one is gonna care about what I write. You know, from a personal experience. Uh, I I'll say I, I've been lucky or whatever or like foolish enough to my whole life to have enough of an ego that I I never ever had that thought Uh, I never had the thought that like I always thought that these are the things I'm going to say and if I release it into the world Mm -hmm. but I've had to deal with you know many many years of like you know deafening indifference you know like like nobody caring and it's just never stopped me but I also work across different media and that helps like if one thing's not working just try like try a different I don't know which instruments you use or what kind of things but like just try so it helps like that I do writing and I do painting and I do other stuff mm-hmm. just try like a different medium you know like if you're playing a guitar try playing a piano I don't know as a just to switch it up mm-hmm. if one thing is feels like a dead end just on a on the creative side you yeah, also just hang out yeah. with people like us who we'll also feel imposters. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like an, like an imposter? Oh, yes. Right, yeah. you announced that you were like the shitty writer up here. Yeah, I'm the <laughs> shitty writer. <laughs> For me, I, I think the daily journaling is helpful because no matter what, I am forcing myself to write every day. And I think because I know, I know what I'm doing in that mode, it's very comfortable and it's just like very consistent and very grounding. Um, but I think I've... I've fi- like finally been meditating a little bit more consistently recently, which I've not had consistent for a long time. And I think the the like real realization that I've had that's been still very much like setting in is that I feel like I'm kind of ex- starting to accept that the words are never going to capture 
the reality, and that was, a, I think, a hard but necessary thing. Just a lot of, like, I don't know, sitting on the beach with my partner and, like, meditating and being like, oh, I'll never be able to get this written down. Like, nothing that happened there, even if I tried and wrote a million pages, it will always be a very weak after image of what that was because that's just the nature of being alive. And so then you hope that the words do something in their own right, but I think it's been kind of comforting to know that, that like, okay, you do your best and hopefully it has its own meaning and conjures something for other people and for yourself, but I think it's helped to feel a little less like, oh God, I have to perfectly convey this thing that's ineffable and can never be captured. So that's been my version of that recently. Thank you. I would say sometimes I try to remind myself not to take myself too seriously. Hmm. Just shoot your shot, you know. Can't disappoint anybody. Right. <laughs> right. Sure. Thank you. Anyone else? Bueller? We, Bueller? We're almost at 8 o'clock, so. I think we're probably good. Uh, yeah, so, so we got a bunch of stuff for sale. Y'all should buy one of each of those things <laughs> two of each of those things so we have less stuff to carry home yeah this be could a, become a multi-level marketing thing at the end of this if we yeah, really yeah. wanted to yeah the door at the top of the stairs is locked so you can't actually <laughs> leave without purchasing something i forgot to tell you that uh, mm -hmm. no thank you all for being here thank you so much thank you, um, thank you. all right cool